Now we're finishing up the book of Revelation today, but this is also a very special day because it is also the day that Jesus on that blessed day rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so what we'll be doing is looking in the book of Revelation and studying this together, but we're going to find out that that the day that we are remembering, most of us think of it like Palm Sunday, is also the day in which is going to have similar parallels to where we're ending the message in Revelation chapter one this morning. And I think you'll see this as you follow me this morning in the word of God. We just encourage you, if you have your Bible, open up your Bible. If not a Bible, open up your phone to an application. If you don't have an application on your computer or phone, they're very easy to get. And they're a great resource for study, quick references, finding words, and that type of thing. We're going to begin reading at the end of the chapter in verse 17 of chapter 1 in Revelation. Remember, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He is going to write this entire amazing book. He has seen the Lord, if you followed us last week, and you can pick that up online if you didn't, but he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the most amazing way, and God was showing him his glory. And we were seeing who the Lord is last week as John beheld him. Now, Today, what we're going to see is we're going to see what John heard before he began to write. And as we look at what John heard, we are going to hear of how sufficient our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is, how complete he is, how powerful he is. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, verse 17. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. And here it is, John is beholding a message that's coming from the Lord himself, Jesus, as he has seen him, and now he begins to hear him speak. And this is taking place right before John will begin to write to the seven churches of Asia. And there it will be that we'll begin, it will be, begin to pick up that study in a couple weeks after our Easter weekend that we're looking forward to next weekend of worshiping together. But this Passage describes to us again how John was so in awe of beholding the Lord that it actually brought him completely down in a prostate, I believe, sense, just like a dead man. And then it was that the Lord placed his right hand on him. This would have been Jesus, and he begins to speak. Now let's, let's look at the words that he begins to speak to him. First thing he says here, he says, I don't want you to be afraid. Oftentimes, the very, the, one of the very emotions and senses within the heart of John that brought him to the floor was a fear. But now the Lord begins to speak, and he says, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be there and be afraid. And then he begins to speak about who 
He is. And we are going to be making a study this morning as we go look at this, at the sufficiency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to see him and what he is going to tell John as you follow with me is just so amazing. First, he says, do not be afraid because I am the first and the last. And here he is saying, he's giving four descriptions of who he is. The first is this, I am the first and the last. Earlier, he had said, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning, being the first and the last. Then John says something else, or the Lord says something else to John, I am the living one. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. We will remember that next weekend as we look into our Good Friday service. And I would encourage us to continue to look into the Word of God together. Let God speak to us this week regarding his death. Sometimes what I'll do, I'll take some of the Psalms that speak of the death of Christ that are prophetic, like the 22nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm. There are many other Psalms that speak of the death of Christ. And then we're going to come to the resurrection because he says, not only is he the first and the last, but the living one, he was dead and he's alive. And notice one more thing that Jesus is saying to John when we're looking at his sufficiency. He says, I have all the keys to death and Hades. Notice what he's saying, I have the, the entrance into the kingdom of God, or I also am the one who discerns those who will go to, to death or Hades. Now, as we're looking at this, in the Greek, that word is Hades. In the Hebrew, that word is Sheol. These are both words that describe the place of the unbelieving and where they go as they face the Lord again. The Word of God says we will all stand before the Lord. There is coming a day, there will be a judgment. There will be a judgment for the just and a judgment for the unjust. There will be a judgment of, of the righteous and there will be a judgment of the unrighteous. And here he is, what Jesus is really saying to John is I am sufficient. Don't ever forget that wherever we go. John, where you go, remember, grasp the truth that is so amazing of the Word of God and throughout everything you see around you that I am sufficient. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, gives us a passage that is very, very powerful. He turned to Peter and he says, I also say to you, that you are my Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, there it is again, will not overpower it. What he's telling Peter is this. Peter, when you are in my church, hell does not have a power over you. When you have faith in the Lord Jesus, and when you believe that I am the rock in which I build my church on. There is no way that hell can overcome that. I am the living one, and I am sufficient for all things, everything. 
Throughout the Bible, this, the f- sufficiency of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ is referenced many times. Isaiah is one of the writings that often, often references the sufficiency of God. One of the things Isaiah says just simultaneously in several chapters, bang, 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 is this. I am he, and there is no God like me. Out of Isaiah 41 and 4 comes that, 44 and 6 comes that, 48 and 12 comes that. What he's saying is, I am the sufficient one. There is no one like me. And, uh, and John, for you to be able to be here on, on Patmos, for you to hear the message that is going to come to you through the angel, for you to pass it on to the church that's going to be going down through the ages, you must recognize my sufficiency. And this is so important for all of us that we realize the Lord is sufficient for all things. And this is what John is, is beginning to behold as we start unpacking these first few verses at the end of the chapter. I want to take you to something that is happening right now in the orchards, the apple orchards up in Washington State. I'll use Washington because the climate up there is the, the zone in which I know for fruition. But the last pruning of the trees are taking place. Just some of the final pruning. And it is important in order for that tree to produce productively and for the apple to be large and healthy, that there is proper pruning done to the tree. What happens in pruning? You take away to receive. You feel restriction to grow. And it's it's hard. A lot of times people have said, you don't let a grower prune his own trees. He's too emotionally attached. But I think once a grower recognizes how important it is that those limbs are pruned and they are subtraction brings multiplication, then it is that he is fully on board for, for pruning. And, and it is so important that proper cutting is done. When you're through with the tree, it looks pretty sparse this time of year. But that tree, by the time it gets into the summer months, will have put on all kinds of new growth that will have brought out all kinds of new fruit. And I believe even as John is here, think of his limitations, separated from the church of Ephesus, on the Isle of Patmos, an old brother, probably 90 years old, not knowing when or if he'll ever get off of that, that island, working out in the, in the marble mines and possibly the, the other mines that were there. And here was all this pruning still being done in the life of John at the end of his days. It's important we see this to recognize that that never stops for us. And even in this place we're at in America, I cannot explain everything that's happening in America or everything that's happening in the world, but there is one thing we know. God doesn't quit pruning. He doesn't quit refining. He is making perfect cuts in the church, in our lives, to bring forth more fruit. Sometimes we might question the cut, but God knows perfectly. And even with John, here he was on this island by himself, really, no saints, declaring God's word, and God was going to honor this 
in the most amazing way. There's something else happening right here as the last of the pruning is wrapping up in, in Washington State, which grows over half of the apples of the United States of America. And that is, there is a quiet battle going on that you would never see as you would drive by the orchards that have been pruned. The first leaves are coming onto the, out on the buds that have been, been pruned. The little tiny buds are forming. The little pieces of fruit are beginning to emerge. But behind it is a battle for the crop. You don't see it. You don't really realize it. But the battle is cold. Cold will come into the night. It will come into the early morning. And, it, and the goal of cold is to take the crop. And I believe that even when John was here, we would not see this battle as clear as it could be. But there is a battle for the word of God and the heart of John to keep John from declaring exactly what the Holy Spirit was wanting him to declare to the churches. Satan will not leave, a, leave the church alone. But remember, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And, and battling the cold of Washington State coming down on the crops, and it's true with many crops throughout the world, you have three different ways to battle. One way you battle is actually with water by putting water down underneath the fruit or even putting it over the top of the fruit on occasion, you are raising the temperature beyond the danger point. There are times though you need more. You have wind machines that are in the orchards, each one of them taking care of around 15 acres of territory. And that by stirring up the air and causing turbulence, that air stirred up, the turbulence coming, takes that and raises the temperature often to a safe place. And lastly, there is heat. It comes through different kinds of emitters that run with propane and also with oil. And that is the last resort often. And sometimes though, you can have everything on. You can have the water on, you can have the heat turned up as much as you can, and you can have the Wind machine's going, and you might have gained about eight to nine degrees, and that's it. And there's a truth that is so important when we're looking at the sufficiency of God, and that is you are in God's hands. I remember the brother, the brother we purchased our first orchard from in Yakima Valley told me about the time he lost the entire 65-acre apple crop. And he finally had been out there all night battling the, that ferocious enemy called cold. And finally he walked in and he looked at his wife and he said, Gene, it's fully in the hands of God. We have done what we could. I give this to you for a couple of reasons as we come to this point. And that is that we recognize that God calls us to see his sufficiency. There is a place he says, yes, be diligent. Uh, do what is before you. Give your heart. John, do this as you're there. But I am the sufficient one. The power of the message will come from me. It's not going to come from you, John. It's not going to come from your experience of life, your abilities. It will come truly and only from me. And John would begin to pin that message. And I believe what one of the things that Jesus is saying, he's speaking about his sufficiency here to John in these, 
these verses in like 18, and when he says, I'm the living one, I was dead, I'm alive forevermore, I have the keys of Hades and hell, he's basically saying, John, I'm all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. And John, as you have seen me in my majesty and my glory, and now my sufficiency, and you have even came down before me like a dead man, I want you to realize I'm equipping you to take a message that you would not be able to take unless you encountered me like this. Oh, I think this is so true in so many places that we find ourselves even now, that God is equipping us. The church of Jesus Christ, which he's purchased with his own blood to take a message to people who, who desperately need it. You know, it's this weekend we call Palm Sunday, and I want to step back and look at this, this before we go a little further here in Revelation. It's the time when Jesus, in every gospel account, records this. We're going to read John's account in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. And here, this simple account that John gives is so profound and necessary for us to understand. On the next day, the large crowd who had came to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. The feast was a feast of the Passover. Went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, Jesus, finding a young donkey, not a chariot, not the nicest horse, a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him and, and that they had done these things to him. You know, the disciples are such a wonderful example to us in so many ways because in many ways, the disciples are just like us. It's easy to think, well, here's John, we're studying John, or here's Peter, or James, or or Bartholomew, or Thomas, and they're all just uh, probably spiritual giants. No, they were men of God, learning the sufficiency of God to go to the place that God wanted them to go, that when they got to that point, the message they would have would be God's message. And this is what is so important as we look into this first chapter of John, of Revelation that is written by John. God is taking much time with his dear, dear beloved apostle, even though he was around 90 years old, that he would understand clearly the greatness of his Lord, the sufficiency of his, of his Lord, and how insufficient he was apart from his Lord. We will never see the sufficiency of God until we see our insufficiency. We'll never understand his greatness until we see our own weakness and understand this and grasp this in the ways in which the Lord wants us to. 
And what the Lord was really telling the disciples and all of those that were chanting and cheering as the donkey went into Jerusalem, what a day that would have been. The palm trees, were, palm branches were going before him. And the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, was sitting on the back of a donkey. And what the Lord was saying is something so important. And there's many lessons here. One is I'm coming again, just like I'm coming now. And we're gonna see that through Revelation. But another thing he is saying is, my sufficiency will be made manifest different than what you think. You see, they, they were ready for the king to come. They had a throne for the king. They knew, they knew the job the king could do for them with the, with the Romans. They knew what they were promised by the prophets. And yet the Lord God from heaven, as he was sending his son on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem, was saying, my sufficiency will be declared, but it will not be the way you think. You know, there was a guy that worked for us one time. His name was just a great guy. Really liked the guy. But there was one thing with this gentleman that was a challenge. And that was he had many, many gifts. He could do many things. But when it got all done, he did it his way. And oftentimes the job got done. But in the railroad, you're going to do it the railroad's way or you're not going to be keep working for them. There's an authority structure you will not defy. Many times I've had to look at these, some of my managers and say, well, that's, that is another way we could do it but do we want to keep working for the railroad? Because this is the way they do it. I believe that's one of the beauties of even working under authority is often there may be another way to do it, but if the authority over us does it a certain way, we walk in integrity and in respect and submission under that authority. And this, this gentleman for a couple of years just broke some records for us, did a lot of things, but when it was done, I just kept finding out in hindsight, he did it his way. And I, one day I gave him a warning, maybe several times. And I said, you can do that for a while, but the day will come, your way won't work. And that day come up in a little town up in the northern, northern part of Montana called Haver, Montana. And he went out one Saturday morning and he did it his way. And because of that, I received one phone call from one superior on the railroad that says that gentleman will never work for you again. You see, because what happened was he didn't do it the way, the path of authority. And I think what Jesus is saying here, and I think it's really important that we see this, is, you know, he used to drive me nuts, actually. I, I would about go nuts after I caught up with this guy and said, how did he ever do that again after our last discussion? But the day came, he didn't have a job. It was all over. It was just, it was just gone. And when I, when I think of the Lord with John and opening up and showing his sufficiency and also his glory and his beauty, he is also, also declaring to John, you will do it my way. The entire message will be my message. You will do it my way because I am God. And I, and I look, at, look at the people who were there on the streets that day, and we've been there and followed those streets into Jerusalem several times. 
but they were looking for a king, but I'm not sure they wanted a redeemer yet. You know, sometimes we want the Lord for what he gives us, but we're not sure we just want Jesus. We want him for what we can get out of him, but not because of just because of who he is as a king of kings and Lord of lords. God is taking us through social and financial and spiritual adjustments, I hope, during this time. And part of, the, part of this journey, and I'm not a prophet to say everything about this, but I will tell you this as your pastor, is God is calling us to him. He's asking us to let him do the work and let him lead the way. And how beautifully God does it in his own perfect way. You know what will happen with Jesus, and we'll follow this next Friday at Good Friday, and we'll go on and we'll take that into our weekend message, and that is that Jesus will go God's way, and his way will take him to Gethsemane. He will surrender his will. His way, God's way, will take him into the, the, the Roman courts to be tried and to be, be mocked and spit on. His way will take him to a cross, where he'll give his life on that cross for us. His way will take him to a tomb, and now his will is gone. He's, a, he's now dead to rise the third day, according to the scripture. And this is the way of the Lord. You see, the word of God says it like this in Corinthians, that preaching of the cross is to those that perish foolishness. It's absolutely ridiculous because it doesn't seem to be the way. The way would be the way that I could do it. The way that a group of us could do it together. And the Lord says, no, I, do, I will do it through a cross. And you preach that cross. And I pray that the cross of Jesus will always be preached in the churches that are truly God's churches throughout the world. But John was going to deliver the message. He would be the vessel but the power of that message flowing tr through him would be because John is recognizing the Lord's sufficiency, the Lord's beauty, and his own unworthiness apart from God. And I want to encourage everyone here, I believe one of the things God's speaking to all of us as we go through this time is uh, be a neighbor to your neighbor however you can. Be a friend to the friendless however you can. Help the poor wherever you can. Reach out to the hungry wherever you can. But the power of that reach will be tied directly to recognizing how we are nothing without the Lord ourselves. We are nothing without Jesus. Now, John, we're going to be wrapping this up in verse 19 and 20 as he comes to the end of this passage. He says, Therefore, write the things which you have seen. And here comes more of John's orders. It's like he's coming before the Lord now and saying, here's what I'm giving you, and here's what I'm asking you to do. But notice what he says. It's not like you're going to find it under a rock or you're going to go away to four years of college. What he said was, I want you to write the things you've seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. And that summarizes in many ways this majestic, God-inspired book of Revelation. The things, I want you to write the things which you have seen, John. John has seen some things. He will write of that. The things which are, the things that are right there on the scene at the time, and the things that will take place after 
this. And there it is, we find a beautiful summary of, of John's work. It will, it will consume him as the Holy Spirit takes him on this beautiful journey. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my hand, my right hand, and we looked at those seven stars last week, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And last week we brought up, isn't that interesting, he talks about the angels of the seven churches. But there's also a reference that is very strongly believed that this is speaking of the overseers of the churches, of the seven. The leaders, the ones that God has entrusted the care of the flock to. And he's saying, John, I'm, I want you to write to those fellow laborers that are over those churches that we'll be looking at in just a couple of weeks. And I want you to declare to them. And I, I say this because as your servant, there is no leader that is over any church that is not completely accountable to God. He is accountable to give the message, to make decisions, to lead the flock, to work with the other leaders that support him, to walk in humility and in righteousness, to live for Jesus in the last days. And God is saying to John here, John, I want you to write this. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And here is where the message of Revelation is going to flow. And it's going to touch in so many ways. And here John has received his walking orders. He's received in many ways maybe his last, one of his last works that he'll ever do. But no, he gets back over there to Ephesus and he writes 2nd and 3rd John. It seems like by history, here's an old man of God still allowing the, the Lord God from heaven to flow through him. I would encourage all of us that way to take John's life as an example of a man that kept running toward the finish line. He was giving his all. I was just blessed yesterday when I walked in the house and Debbie shared how one of our uh, elder sisters who at one time used to worship here had reached out because she was working with one of the fire departments and how badly they needed respirators. And I was thinking, praise God that our, God's children is, are still living for him. They are still serving him. They are still giving their heart just like we see here with John as we're coming to the end of this. Oftentimes, like John, we don't realize what, where God is going to take us and what the message will be. You know, in many ways, if all of us was to go back three or four months ago, think where we were and think where we are today. But there are still so, several fundamental foundational truths that don't change. They're just etched forever. One is that God is. Another is that he has given us his son, he's given us his spirit, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, he will walk with us. But there's also something really true also that we've been seeing in our text this morning, and that is that Jesus is completely sufficient. I don't know where you are today, and I would guess that someone lost some sleep that's listening this morning or this evening, 
Someone just realized, I don't know what to do. One morning, a couple mornings this week, I was up very early. Some of you were on my heart. It just seemed like God gave me a sense. Oftentimes, it comes in the night. I get up and I just, God, was that a message from you? And I know for sure, one thing for sure, it's at least a message to pray. But maybe it's a place to serve. And God was going to take John to places yet of service and even bearing a clear message I think of that in lieu of God's children. And that is the way for a clear message to come from our lives is when our lives are cleansed and our lives are focused on Jesus and we have surrendered to him and we are living for Jesus every day. Well, what is the message today? What's the takeaway? What is the message and I, I want to take you back to that first message that we took several weeks ago on, in this book. The great message of the book of Revelation is that Jesus is alive and he's coming soon. That is a great, great message. It is also the great message we have today. When you see that neighbor, give them a big smile and a big wave. If you can share Jesus in the way that God lays it on your heart, share him. Let him, let her know that Jesus is coming again, but he's also alive. Sometimes we can live in this world that he's just coming, coming, he's gonna pull us out of this whole thing. No, he's alive today that we can be alive in him. And there's another message that I get from this, and that, that, that was one that John would have been dealing with, separated from the saints, working remotely, in captivity, working in a dungeon probably, down in the ground, great, Great trial and adversity, not exactly what we're experiencing right now, but God alone knows where we will even go as his children. But one of the great messages, and it just will re reverberate throughout the next couple, couple weeks, is today may be a dark day. But remember, on the darkest day of all, Jesus came out of a tomb, and the resurrection's coming. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus is coming. And this is what the children of God looked through throughout, throughout the ages. I received one, and some of you have probably picked this up over the last few days on media, and it came from one of you brothers, and it said, it's okay if the church is empty on Easter. The tomb was empty too. And that's why we're here, is because of an empty tomb. But I don't believe the church is empty on Easter. I believe the church has just moved location a little bit. The church is still alive. The church is still growing and glowing and living for Jesus. And if I can encourage you as a church of God, who the Lord is speaking to, just like he was speaking to John, not in Patmos, but where, where we're at right now, let his life flow through you during this time. Keep seeing his sufficiency, see his beauty, hear his message, recognize how powerful he is, and share that great message with a world that needs it in a hopeless time like this. If you don't have Jesus, I don't know what you have. I don't know what hope you're going to have. Without the Lord Jesus, I don't know where you're gonna go right now. And I believe we as God's children should be seeking out, praying through, and saying, Lord, where is that person? How can I share Jesus today? Where can I share him? 
in a world that is saying, my whole world's coming down. I lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. Jesus Christ is alive, and he's coming soon. And the beauty of this message also, you're going to find it all the way through the book of Revelation, is that he can live in our heart today. Not just then, not just with John. It's just not something that lived in my grandfather's heart. Yes, I, could, I saw Jesus in the heart of my grandparents. But also there's a truth here that he can live in my heart today, right here, as with John on Patmos, right here in Surprise, Arizona, or in India, or in China, or wherever you're listening this morning, Jesus can be alive. Your home can be a sanctuary. Your heart can be filled with the love of Christ. And you can go and be that message bearer. Not rewriting the book of Revelation, not just simply saying, I want you to read this one verse. You might have a verse here, but take the word of God with you. Let the word of God be in your heart. And I want to encourage you here this morning, each one of you, this is a time to get close to God and his word. Invest the time. One of the things I did this morning is I brought up a bigger print Bible. And it's a, it's a thicker Bible, but it's still the word of God. You know why I did this one reason? It's a memory to me. I'm going to start preaching this. Let the Bible be big in your life. Let the word be strong in your life. Let it be that that carries you through this time. I know, and I had a grandmother, I probably shared this with you before, that would just simply open up the Bible like this, and where she opened, she read and believed in her heart that God gave her just what she needed for the day. And that's what he does. He supplies all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But if you're hopeless this morning, if you do not know Jesus I want to speak to you of the God of hope, the God of consolation, the God of comfort, who had reached out to John. One of the things he said is don't fear, and Jesus is saying that to you too. But then I want you to recognize that he is living, he was dead, he's alive forevermore, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if that is you, and maybe no one else is there but you, I don't know. I know some of you are there. I would just pray that today you would pray to God and say, Lord, God from heaven, I believe you are. I believe you are sufficient. I'm going to say it. I may not totally feel, feel it, but I also, Lord, want to confess something, and that is I'm not sufficient. I can't make it. Matter of fact, my sin keeps me from making it. My pride keeps me from making it. My arrogance, Lord, I want to confess to you I'm a sinner, and I want to repent before you. And I want to ask you to come into my life and cleanse me from this righteousness so I can walk through this time and even this study in this book having you right there just like John had as he was getting ready to write to the church of Ephesus next and just being able to bear witness to your name. And I want that hope, Lord, in a time where so many people have no hope and God will give it to you. Don't let go of that. Go to someone else that's not far from you. you know, if you know of a believer, go share it with them. If it's your husband or your wife, share it with them. But go and share Jesus with someone while there's still time and there's still opportunity. It's, a, it's the greatest message the world has ever heard or ever will hear. It is the greatest peace that we'll ever find 
and the riches are indescribable. They are out of this world, but they are also indescribable. And when, when you're on the right hand of the Father, there is grace and peace forevermore. May God bless each of you. May you have a blessed week in Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would just take this word and multiply it the way you choose. We are simply your vessel at your feet, desiring that your word would flow freely into the heart of every hearer and seer of the word today. Oh God, I pray that you will speak like no one can speak to show us the way to go, to teach us to follow you closer and help us to find you in times like this, Lord, in the most amazing places and to realize just like the, the entry into Jerusalem, you may be found on a donkey and not on a throne. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you for all you do. We thank you that we are the bride of Christ. We have a lively hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we thank you, Lord, that Easter is coming and we are looking forward to next weekend when we can praise you and honor you and lift up the name of Jesus as you rose from the grave. In Christ's name we pray, amen.